Hey there, music podcast for kids listeners. First, we just want to say thanks for listening and also wanted to give you an update of a super fun way to support the show. The Music Podcast for Kids now has a Patreon page where you can become a member of our secret music club. Get early access to ad-free shows that include our super-duper listening challenge games and even a personalized shout-out on the show from me, Mr. Henry, and my good friend, Mr. Fight. Your support helps the mission of spreading music education all across the world, and we greatly appreciate it. Visit patreon.com slash kids, or even visit the show notes for the link. Thanks so much, and let's get to the show. Let the music begin in three, two, one... Fun. That's what we're gonna do Mr. Henry Mr. Fight Exploring along with you Learning music, having fun That's what we're gonna do Mr. Henry Mr. Fight Love hanging out with you The Music Podcast for Kids Hello and welcome to The Music Podcast for Kids We're your hosts, Mr. Henry And Mr. Fight Music Educators Extraordinaire! The Music Podcast for Kids is a fun and educational podcast where we learn and explore the best subject ever. Music! And now the music joke of the day. We love jokes. So if you have a joke, please visit our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com to submit your joke. And guess what? It doesn't even have to be a music joke. It can be any joke. We will read and enjoy your joke on the podcast and also let everyone know who it came from and where you are in this great, big, wonderful music world. Our joke of the day is... This joke comes from a listener of the show, Cormac. What is a chicken's favorite food? Huh? Broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to send in your jokes by visiting our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com. A link to the website can be found in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you are enjoying the show so far. Please subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest episodes and leave a review through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, get updates on what we are up to through Facebook and Instagram by finding us at music podcast for kids links will be found in the show notes on to the show just chat 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 hello dr henry alviani and welcome to the show i'm happy to be here it's an honor to be working to to sharing uh, this time with both of you. You can call me Hank. Okay. Perfect. So uh, we always like to start out by asking our guests about their background with music as a child. So what experiences did you have as a child in the school setting and even outside of school? Well, there were two, actually. Um, One was they had a, a good choral program 
when I was in elementary school, this was in the LA city schools. It was Glenwood elementary school in Sun Valley, California. And, um, as early as third grade, I was singing three part choral music. Wow. And so that was, uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grades. I went on to junior high and uh, a public junior high school and sang there for you. Had a great time. Mrs. Rice was my, uh, and I remember the Mrs. Rice at Sun Valley Junior High, Mrs. Martin at uh, Glenwood. And then I went on to, um, uh, got into the Catholic school system in eighth grade and then four years of high school. And Sister Sharon, uh, later uh, left that and became Sharon Piper and a good friend for many years later. So she was quite an inspiration to me and I had a lot of great experiences. So I've been singing all that time. The other thing is when I was seven years old, uh, a guy from Milton Man Accordion Studios was going door to door. And I guess part of it had to do with my Italian heritage. My mom and dad looked at me and said, you want to play accordion? So, okay, why not? <laughs> So I did that for five years and I progressed far enough. And I kind of gave it up after when I was about 12 and I got more interested in sports, but I was good enough so that my teacher was talking about me uh, studying with Myron Florent. And some people may remember him. He was the accordionist for Lawrence Well. And of course, you have to go back to the 50s and 60s, you yeah. know, one, then the two, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lawrence, so uh, mm -hmm. many people remember that name, Lawrence Welk. And, and now we're going to hear the Ruti Tutti. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Myron Florham was very well known as an accordion player on that TV show. And I, if I would have continued, I might have ended up studying with him. Oh, wow. And the biggest thing, it gave me some background <laughs> on some chord theory and so on, and at least gave my right hand some dexterity so when i finally many years later started to learn learn piano um my right hand was far more developed than my left but at least i had that experience yeah right and so you took private lessons on the accordion were there any other instruments was that your primary instrument as a child or did you take other uh other instruments as well no i really didn't take any other uh, instruments except somebody gave me a chromatic harmonica one time as a gift and so i played around with that but no, nothing, just singing. And I uh, didn't get into any instruments ever until I was required to take the various instrument classes when I was getting my teaching certification. So I right. then I got familiar with clarinet and oboe and uh, trombone and cello, uh, more messed around with them. But no, uh, I use piano. I am not a pianist by any means. The way I describe myself is... Um, people who don't know any better think I'm pretty good. <laughs> so if you know anything about playing piano, you know I'm a total hack. But I do use <laughs> piano on a regular basis. And I use it in teaching privately. And I've had to accompany simple enough things that I can manage. So, uh, And I didn't start taking piano lessons until I was 23. And uh, pretty quickly, I got to the point where I am now. And then I've just kind of stayed there for almost 50 years. Yeah. That's about it. So I was kind of a late bloomer too. I started when I was 18. <laughs> so it felt a little weird. <laughs> so after high school, and you were kind of talking about college there with doing a lot of the um learning the different instruments, which is, you know, that's typically where you would 
yeah, start to learn all the different mm-hmm. instruments. But um, so college was your next step in your musical journey, and you attended Mount St. Mary's College in L.A. So there was a very important step in between. I oh, okay. entered Loyola University of Los Angeles, which is now known as Loyola Marymount University. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, originally entered as a math major. And I go, mm-hmm. well, holy cow, look at all the math classes I'm going to have to take. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I was an accounting major for three and a half years Oh wow! and I ended up getting a bachelor of business administration degree, but all the time I was singing in college for uh, a wonderful conductor named uh, Paul Solomonovich. And if you look him up, he has an extensive um, uh, presence in a Wikipedia page. And about he was the choral director for about a hundred different movies and TV shows, all kinds of things, including The Godfather. And I mean, there's a whole list wow. of them. So wow. it was a great experience. And uh, but I sang for four years for him for in college, and didn't really. Uh, uh, it wasn't until the end of my my junior year in college that I decided. You know, I I had a much longer than I think we have time for here, but I had an event occur at a party, an end of the year party at the end of my junior year, which I talk about in detail, um, not only on my Facebook page, but also in a book called 88 Plus Ways Music Can Change Your Life. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but it's... Wow. It's about a four page long story where I decided I wanted to do that, but not yet. So that's when I joined the Peace Corps and that will come back and play a little bit later in this interview when I'm talking about one of the pieces. Yeah. And, um, and after that, at the age of uh, 23, I entered Mount St. Mary's College, now Mount mm-hmm. St. Mary's University and uh, and started my music studies and i finished my bachelor's in music in two years and um uh, so i finally got my first teaching job at a catholic high school when i was uh, uh, 25. so that was after already getting a business degree and peace corps and then went back at 23 and i didn't know any matter of fact at that time when i first started uh, going to school I knew what a sharp and a flat were, but I had no idea what a key signature was. Couldn't play piano. I didn't know which side of the stem the flag went on for an eighth note. I mean, I knew 23 years old, and I knew virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. But very fortunately, I went to a school that prided itself on taking people with more than anything else, I mean, I'm not stupid, but more importantly, I had the desire to do this. And uh, taking that gave me all the opportunities I needed until I could become successful. Yeah, that's awesome. That's wonderful. So uh, in addition to your choral work, you're also a composer. And we're always curious about how composers uh, start the creation process. So do you sit down at the piano, start putting ideas together, kind of get the staff paper out? Or what's that process look like like for you as a composer? Well, as uh, and that's a little bit different than how I'm going to describe a little bit different than being an arranger. And I have a number of arrangements. And there you take the existing melody and then find a way to enhance it and, and make it more interesting. 
but the composing, see, here's the thing, the advantage of lyrics, the advantage of text yeah. for a choral composer is you have the guide, you have the text to guide and inspire you. Yeah, right. Um, the advantage to no text for instrumental music is you are not limited to finding a way to um, to enhance the meaning of the text through the music. So mm -hmm. um, the text can be a benefit or it can be an impediment. And uh, for the most part, uh, for in instrumental music, it, it would pretty much get in the way. But for the way I start, if I'm going to compose something and all I have is a text, I read the text. I read it again. I read it again. I, I just keep reading the text yeah. and you read it often enough and spontaneously after a while, a certain melody and rhythm mm. start to develop. And uh, then you sit down and I always, I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Hatfield, um, mm. very well-known choral composer okay. and, um, and he still does all of his composing uh, at the piano with pencil and paper. And then when he's all done, then he goes to his finale, Sibelius, whatever program he uses, and then he starts inputting. And that's exactly what I did. So yeah. all of my compositions were done on pencil and paper. And then, um, and then uh, when these programs became available some years ago, then I would go ahead and input them into the program. Cool. But it starts with just going through the text until um, until you start to spontaneously feel where it goes. One of the important things I learned about composing was uh, a couple of classes, a class in particular that I took at Arizona State when I was getting my doctorate. Uh, was a, a composer named Randall Shin, Dr. Randall Shin. And he said, always start with the melody write your melody mm -hmm. then you can tweak it so you can yeah you can start with the melody and then you can migrate the melody you can move it to different voices you can uh put in uh, interludes that type of thing sure. you can um uh do um uh what do i want to say the um uh, with your variations on the melody so you can do all things yeah. but start with the melody and then as a matter of fact you can even improvise things yeah um one of the things um and and i think bill you might be familiar with it was an arrangement that i did with um a, uh, an english ballad a poem called sweet william's ghost right the first problem with that is the ballad is 15 measures long. So, no, I'm not going to write music for 15 measures. <laughs> so I found a way to maintain the complete storyline in nine verses. Did I say measures? Verses. Verses, yeah, okay. 15 verses, sorry. And, um, and cut it down to nine. The nice thing about that, and of course, I'm not dealing with the melody. It's already there. But... There are three voices, if you will. There is William. There is who is dead. He's in the grave, but his ghost is floating around here. There is his uh, lost love, or he's the lost love, the girlfriend, Margaret. And then there's the narrator. So 
I was able to migrate things between the different voices, sopranos, altos, tenor, basses. So if Margaret was doing all of the talking, that would go into the soprano and alto. As a matter of fact, one verse, for instance, I have uh, the melody is just um, just uh, in the the men are singing it in unison, and uh, that is William. And that the ladies in three part are doing this very floating kind of ghostly ethereal ooh over the top of it. Yeah, that's so cool. So without changing the melody, every one of the nine verses is distinct one from another because sometimes I use men, sometimes I use women, and uh, sometimes I use all of them. And so that gives each of the, um, uh, the verses its own personality and I think maintains interest. Yeah, and and I got to sing that piece. Did you? Um, okay. Yeah, and I just I love that one. I just thought that was, uh, yeah. I and it was always. I think when we did that the concert where that was a part of it, I was like, I think that was my favorite one. You know, oh, um, nice. yeah. It, I really mean, truly, favorite. yeah. It really was. It was just the what you had done with it was really. Um, it just was really uh, great. I just loved it. So uh, another cor- choral piece that you wrote called Bendadores Ambulantes Colombianos, which has a very... (laughs) I practiced, I practiced, (laughs) which has a, uh, so it has a very interesting story as to how uh, the piece came about. So could you tell us the story which inspired this piece of music? I was going down to visit in Florida, my best friend from when I was in Peace Corps. he actually got married while we were down there. This was middle of July of 1972. So they're coming up on their 50th anniversary and I was his best man. Oh, that's cool. And as a matter of fact, the weekend that I went to the little town where they were getting married, where his wife's family was, we were the only two Americans in town (laughs) and uh, just had a great weekend. So uh, for some reason, just, reconnecting with him after uh i hadn't talked to him in 30 oh what do i say yeah about 30 years and we reconnected and uh and i went down there and said you know i'd like to do this and i guess there's something similar a piece by um orlando gibbons that has to do i forget what it's called but it's kind of a street fair thing so i said well there are all of these wonderful musical cries by the street vendors and i think it'd be kind of fun to put them together and create a piece of music that represents all of them so i sat down with carl and his wife esperanza and uh, we just tried to go through and remember all of as many of the uh, street cries that we could remember and it starts off with the avocado guy. He'd be walking around with this big, heavy bag of avocados on his back, walking up the street and go, aguacate, just like that. And that's yeah. the this thing is that he used. There was a guy who pushed uh, a wheelbarrow and he had a uh, grinding wheel on it and he sharpened knives, scissors, and um, um, Attila here, he would say, Afilo, tijeras, cuchillas, navajas, so razors. And, and that's what he would sing it, just like that. Afilo, tijeras, cuchillas, navajas. 
there was a the flower guy uh, and he had fresh cut flowers and he'd walk around the streets together he goes uh flores and he would sing that so yeah. and there were a total of nine of these that we put and we worked them all out and i found a way to work them into each other and when i've done it like at um uh, festivals like district or region festivals i usually do it and people have a lot of fun with it yeah yeah it's such a cool idea i just love the uh how you are able to intertwine it all together and it, it's a really neat piece so it, it ended up working well and, and like i say uh it's if i'm going to compose something i mean i'm not a composer i do other things but i compose and if I am going to compose something, I feel like it has to be something that not a lot of other people have done, or maybe perhaps nobody has done. Mm -hmm. Right. Which um, comes, if you want me to go ahead with some of the other things that I've done and what I yeah. have in mind. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like well, the Chippewa dream <coughs> melody. Yeah. yeah. That, that started because the small college where I was teaching in Northern Wisconsin, the Dean sent out a a, uh, a notice that he'd like to find ways for teachers in different disciplines to collaborate on projects. So that school was located right between two Chippewa reservations, the, the Mad River and the Red Cliff. And the college had its um, uh, own Native American studies program. So I got a hold of that gentleman who taught that. And I said, you know, I think it'd be kind of neat. And this is at a time, this is 25 years ago or so. And there was this explosion of interest in ethnic music being arranged, which in our country goes back to spirituals. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have all of these spirituals starting with people like H.T. Burley, Harry Burley. And then later on, uh, people like Jester Harrison and then more recently Moses Hogan. So right. they were taking these old spirituals and that were basically made up songs for field work and so on, mm -hmm. and then dressing them up so that they'd be appropriate to do in a concert hall. Well, they were doing this with Eastern European music and doing this with um, uh, African music and South right. American music and said, oh, wait a minute, nobody's doing anything with our american indigenous yeah. music right right well, why not so i said do you happen to have access to melodies of, of the chippewa since we're right here in chippewa territory and he turned me on to a two volume uh set of books called chippewa music it had 360 melodies that in about 110 120 years ago a lady named Frances Densmore, and I just can imagine what she's doing, canoeing the rivers and lakes, going from one reservation to another, recording. Yeah. What kind of recording equipment did she have? Yeah. That wow. And recording these melodies and getting the same melody from five or six different reservations and then reconciling them and coming up with a, quote, a reconciled authentic version. Sure. So I went through, you know, hundreds of these melodies and came up with a few of them. And one thing was to preserve the original melody intact as much as possible. And then I set it for um, five-part five chorus. 
I, I like to write for five parts, soprano, second soprano, alto, tenor, bass, because mm-hmm. typically your typical chorus is going to have me 50% more female singers right. than male. So yeah. if I write for 50% more female sure. parts than male, the balance issue resolves itself. Yeah, right. So um, that was the inspiration that Dean made that project, said, okay, I come up with this. And so I ended up with a, a medley mm-hmm. of um, uh, four love songs. And that room runs, oh, it's a good maybe six minutes long. And then a medley of two dream songs and then a children's game song. And they're all in Ojibwe. And I think since I talked to you, I found one lady and I wrote her a Facebook message, but I haven't heard back because I think she did have one arrangement of a piece in the languages, the languages Ojibwe. Okay, right. And uh, so Chippewa is more of the American term for these people. They also use Ojibwe. And they will often refer to themselves as Anishinaabe. But anyway, that was the uh, the inspiration for those arrangements. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. And uh, so many of our, our listeners are kids, a music podcast for kids. <laughs> and uh, some of them might dream of uh, maybe being a singer or even maybe composing. So we always like to ask our guests to uh, a little bit of advice or some wisdom that you might share with our listeners as they explore uh, these areas in music. Well, always take, uh, I mean, if you can study privately, that's wonderful. But if you're studying privately, always take advantage of whatever opportunities you can to perform, to actually put into use what you're studying. It's very sterile to study voice and then not really do anything with it. And rather than do what's everything that's involved in putting together your own uh, individual show, there are much, many more opportunities singing in a chorus. So I started singing in chorus uh, in third grade. So I would have been eight, eight years old. Yeah. And I've been pretty singing in choruses. I mean, even now I still sing in choruses and I'm a little bit older than eight, about nine times older than eight. And um, uh, so I would say, uh, and if you look at popular singers now, you find almost all of them had early experiences singing in choral groups, church choirs, love to have people in there. I was really kind of weird about it because uh, see, I grew up in, um, uh, as as a Catholic, and at a time when Renaissance era Latin motets were being sung in church, and I just loved that music. Yeah. And I was about seven years old, and I went up to the choir director at our church and asked if I could join the choir. Uh, yeah, not realistic, but at least that was my my interests even back then right and so uh i just have always uh, certainly you you gain a lot of experience not only in singing but if you're interested in in doing more with the music you gain a lot of experience just by participating in groups like that yeah yeah that's awesome so dr henry alviani we want to thank you so much for being on the music podcast for kids and wish you all the best as you continue educating the world all about music can I, can I say one quick thing? Do we have time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next thing, and again, something that um, to my knowledge has not been done, is the uh, Gospel of Luke. 
okay. was originally written in Greek because Luke mm -hmm. was a, uh, a Greek physician. And in the book of Luke is a very famous uh, text called the Magnificat, or Mary's Song of Praise. Mm. And I'm sure you have sung numerous, uh, there are thousands of settings of Magnificat, but they're all yes. in Latin right. or English. Okay, right. And so right now I'm in the process of trying to find somebody who can take the actual Greek text Mm. and convert it into a, an alphabet that I can read and pronounce. It'd be similar if you've yeah. ever sung anything in Hebrew, which I do every year for yeah. a, a synagogue. I don't read Hebrew, but somebody writes it out in a way that I can read, I can pronounce yeah. it so somebody who knows Hebrew can understand me. So right. that's what I want to do with the Greek. And I don't believe anybody has ever said the Magnificat in the original Greek. So that would be my next project. Oh, oh, that's that awesome. so exciting. Oh. Yeah, that's that sounds super. Okay. Fun. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope I've uh, now answered all your questions. And yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for being yeah. here. My pleasure. Time to wrap it up, folks. Thank you so much for tuning into the music podcast for kids. We hope you enjoyed the show and most importantly, learned something cool today about music. Remember to send in your jokes or even a topic in music you would like us to discuss by visiting our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com. If you are interested in awesome educational and fun songs for your kids to listen and sing along with, please visit brucefight.com. Music is available to download with iTunes, CD Baby, and Facebook, and most streaming platforms like Spotify and Amazon Radio. Links will be found in the show notes. If you are interested in learning how to play the piano with a fun and engaging curriculum geared toward kids, please subscribe to Mr. Henry's YouTube channel called Mr. Henry's Music World. Links will be found in the show notes. Please visit iTunes to leave a review of the podcast and also share the podcast with friends, relatives, aliens, whoever. Again, we thank you so much for tuning in.